And today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 15. And uh, it's printed in the bulletin. You can follow along as I, as I read it aloud. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray for a brief moment uh, before we hear from this text. Uh, gracious God, you are God who speaks. And because of that, we anticipate that through your spirit and through your word, uh, you have something to say to us today. And so we pray, God, that if our hearts uh, are not attentive or our ears are not attentive or maybe our, our uh, eyes are uh, blinding, blinded to uh, see, seeing the things of you, uh, we pray, God, that you would help us and help us to receive. We come here as beggars, uh, not as people who have it all together. Uh, and so therefore, we, we come to receive. Would you fill us with your word and your spirit in this time? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, for the next two weeks, I think we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I say I think, I could probably spend three or four weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer. This is like one of the famous prayers uh, in Christian tradition. And some of you may even have it memorized. And uh, it's, it's actually uh, listed or written twice in the Gospels, one in the Gospel of Matthew, one in the Gospel of Luke. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew's version. And Jesus teaches us about this prayer in the context of something called the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing is he is instructing his disciples on a variety of topics, and there's this recurring theme that takes place throughout the Sermon on the Mount. One is about the kingdom, but also one of the things that Jesus is addressing is he is basically pitting external religiosity versus the inward motives of the heart. So, for example, Jesus would say something like this, if you are angry with your brother, then you have already committed murder in your heart. If you even look at someone lustfully, then you have already committed adultery in your heart. And when it comes to spiritual practices here, Jesus is making a very similar critique. And he is saying, you know, some people out there, they pray and they fast in order to display their spirituality or display their religiosity to others. But the way we ought to pray and fast is we ought to do it in secret because then only God knows. Now, by the way, notice that Jesus here is not making a distinction between those who pray and those who do not pray. The assumption here is everybody is praying, but Jesus is critiquing those who are not praying in the right way. Of course, it's not good if we are not praying, but it's also not good if we are not praying in the right way. And so what this Lord's Prayer does is it gives us this kind of model or example of how we ought to pray. So how should we pray? That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And he gives us this model of prayer. Now, I don't think he's saying this is like some kind of formula that we ought to pray um, as if it's something to repeat over and over and over again and there's spiritual power in just these words. 
But I think what Jesus is doing is he's trying to show us how to pray by way of example. A prayer, I think, is one of those things that is probably most understood by example. It's probably something that shapes us most by example. If I think about the way I pray, uh, I probably pray the way that I've seen other people in my life pray, and I've modeled them and I've imitated them. If you think about prayer, everybody doesn't pray in the same way, right? Some people like to pray uh, quietly and silently. Some people like to pray loudly, and they like to shout. Depending on the culture you come from or depending on the tradition you may come from, uh, you may pray differently. You know, some people like uh, to pray in a very organized way, like like to write down lists and kind of go through a list. And other people just like to pray going with the flow and seeing what maybe the Spirit is leading them to pray for. Uh, Some of you know, (coughs) uh, in, uh, in the summer, I was in Germany. And while I was in Germany, I got to meet with a couple people uh, who were doing ministry there, a couple brothers, and uh, we decided we were going to sit around and we were just going to pray together. So we had this prayer meeting. And, you know, I was sitting down, you know, we had some coffee and we had some food around the table and everybody was sitting around the table with me. And it's like, all right, let's pray. And then I close my eyes, I, I, you know, I fold my hand, bow my head. That's usually how I pray. We start praying. And these other guys, they start actually like getting up and they're walking around with their eyes open and they're praying like this. And I'm like, I hear their voices moving around. I'm like, oh, why, why are they walking around and praying? But, you know, that's just how they pray. It's just a different way of prayer. Now, if you think about it, um, it's not so much about the externalities here that Jesus is concerned about, whether you bow your head, whether you walk around, whether you close your eyes, whether you open your eyes. But what Jesus is modeling for us here in terms of how we ought to pray is the content, is in the content of the prayer. The Lord's prayer is a model for us in that it shows us the content of what we ought to be praying for in our lives. And this is what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. Uh, We can look at the Lord's Prayer kind of like a photographer. You know, a photographer, they have different lenses. They have a wide-angle lens, and, you know, you kind of take a big-picture look and take a big-picture kind of photograph. But then you also have a zoom lens, and you kind of look at it in detail. We're going to try to do two of those things. So today we're going to look at uh, from a wider angle and look at the Lord's Prayer from the perspective of its structure. And next week I think we'll look at a couple of the Uh, specific petitions in this prayer. Now, if we take a step back and look at the prayer as a whole, I do think it's going to offer us maybe a little bit of a corrective or it's going to refine our approach to prayer for some of us at least. You know, I've heard people say this when they've, you know, struggled with prayer, when they've given up on prayer, when they don't even think it's it's even worth it to pray anymore. Uh, People have said this. They said, you know, I've tried prayer and it didn't really work for me. And I'm sure there are people in here who've maybe not verbalized it, but at least thought about it and said, I've tried prayer and it didn't work for me. I've asked God to to give me a certain job. I've asked God to heal somebody from illness. I've asked God to to help uh, my family relationships or my marriage or with my kids. I've asked God to fix the subways in New York City, and God did not answer any of those prayers. Well, if that's how you have felt about prayer, then it could mean that maybe you have a certain uh, misunderstanding about how we are to approach prayer, and it could mean we might need a little bit of refinement. Because you see, prayer is not simply a means to get what we want, and it's not simply a way in which we uh, get God to do the things that we want Him to do. Prayer isn't primarily about us at all, in fact. But prayer, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to actually save us from ourselves by drawing us 
into the presence and the attributes of God. Because at the end of the day, presence is more important than provision. God's presence is more important than what he provides for us. But our hearts, I think, are so prone to uh, elevating ourselves, to looking at the world from uh, a little bit of a narcissistic, self-centered way, from interpreting everything that happens in the world in view of our perspective. And if you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, I do think it does give us a direction, it does give us a focus, and it also gives us a basis for prayer. And so let's reflect on those three things. The first thing, the prayer gives us a direction in that you see a, a direction in this prayer that it moves from God, it starts with God, and then it begins to move towards us. It begins with the things pertaining to God and then moves towards the things that pertain to us. Look at the uh, pronouns. First three petitions are your petitions. How will be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The last four petitions are us. Give us, forgive us, lead us, and deliver us. That's the direction of the prayer. Now, there's this uh, British pastor that uh, sometimes I, you know, I read his stuff, I read his books, his articles, and uh, he wrote an article about the Lord's Prayer, and he says, uh, you know, the problem with the way we pray sometimes is that we pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. And what does he mean by that? Well, he tells a story about how he was on an airplane, he was on a flight, it was caught in very, very bad weather, and it made the airplane uh, shake a lot. The flight was very turbulent, and the plane was shaking intensely, and dropping like 50 feet at a time. Boom. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced being on a flight like that. I've experienced it once in my life. Uh, when uh, my wife and I, we were flying to Japan many, many years ago. Uh, it was the scariest thing just to feel the plane kind of drop. <laughs> Everybody's like screaming. And you know, your heart starts to beat a little bit quicker and you start to sweat a little bit and you're like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Well, he observed on this, he was in one of these kind of flights and he was just like looking at other people as this turbulence was happening. And, you know, people were shrieking, people were screaming, and some people started to pray. And he observed, you know, some people praying, God, God, please save us, right? Don't let me die today. Don't let me die today. And uh, he says, that's kind of like praying the prayer, deliver us, right? Deliver us, God. Another person's praying, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for everything that I've done in my life, right? Getting ready to die, make amends with God. That's like praying the petition, forgive us our debts. And even when we're not on our most turbulent flights, he observes, you know, what do many of us pray in our prayers? We, play, we pray, please, prayers. God, please do this. God, please do that. God, please make my work situation better. God, please get me this job. And that's kind of similar to the give us this day our daily bread kind of petition. And so what he says is the problem with the way a lot of Christians pray is we do it in the wrong order. We oftentimes pray this prayer backwards. But if you look at the direction of this prayer, where does it start? It starts with the things of God. Now, why does that matter, and why is the direction important? <clears throat> you know, I heard a story of this lady, and she said, she was telling her pastor, you know, when I pray, after I pray, I actually feel a lot more anxious. I thought prayer was supposed to give me some kind of peace, but I feel a lot of anxiety. And uh, the reason she felt that is because when she would pray, she would just kind of remember all the problems in her life and all the problems and the people that she cared for in their lives as well. And in her, at least, it stirred up a kind of anxiety within her. And it wasn't until she realized the entirety of her prayer life was actually based on the fact that she, uh, all she did was ask God for things. And the irony is that when she did that, she never really encountered God in the way that she needed to because she never 
adored him. She never remembered his beauty in the midst of her prayers. And that is exactly where the Lord's Prayer starts here. It begins with hallowing God's name. It begins with remembering his character, his attributes, his beauty in his holiness. Now, I've mentioned this oftentimes in prior sermons, but praise and adoration of God and experiencing his beauty is one of the most important things that can happen in order to drive us away from ourselves, in order to make us stop thinking about ourselves and our desires and what we want and what we don't have. Uh, there's somebody named A.W. Tozer, and he wrote a book, and he says that's, that's the problem with modern Christianity is uh, we, we tend to lack uh, a deep awe of who God is. He said this a couple decades ago, actually, but it seems to be an even more accurate statement today. He says there are hundreds and hundreds of kinds of evils that are rooted in our loss of awe for who God is. When our hearts are in awe of who God is, then our desires, our priorities are properly reordered, and that changes our perspective, friends, and aligns our perspective more in tune with God's perspective. And you see, that is why the direction of this prayer matters. We can't possibly start with ourselves because if we do and when we do, everything else becomes distorted. We begin to approach God maybe with a sense of entitlement or we begin to approach God with a sense of self-confidence that, God, I know what I need and you need to provide me what I need. Or we might approach God with this unconscious assumption that my life my kingdom is the most important thing, and it should be the most important thing to God. And you know what that does? That produces greater pride. That produces greater arrogance. But with that also comes greater anxiety and I think even greater depression. The Lord's Prayer shows us prayer begins not with a focus on ourselves, but with a focus on God, His attributes, His will. And only then do we begin to rightly focus on our own petitions. Only then are our own petitions framed in the right framework. So that's the first thing, direction. Second thing the Lord's Prayer teaches us is focus. What are we supposed to be focused on? And I think the focus here is actually on the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, it's not just in this prayer, but, you know, I was reading a, a book on the Lord's Prayer yesterday by a theologian. I'm going to quote in a minute. And he says, you know, the Lord's Prayer is actually a, kind of a, a, a great summary or encapsulation of all the things that Jesus taught in the Gospels, uh, especially with respect to the coming of the kingdom of God. If you read the Gospel narratives, you actually see that the word gospel, right, good news, is oftentimes, most of the time, connected to the idea of the kingdom. Uh, I did a search yesterday for the word gospel in the Gospel of Matthew. It's used four times. Three out of the four times, it's used in relation to the good news of the kingdom, Matthew says several times, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what exactly does that mean? The idea of kingdom, it's, it's a big concept, and I think it can be difficult uh, to understand exactly what that means, but essentially what it means is this. Jesus will take his place, his rightful place as king, and he is going to rule over all of creation. Now, why is that good news? One theologian says it like this. It means freedom for God's people, the defeat of evil, and the coming of the presence of God. And then he continues to say this. Jesus' first followers didn't think for a moment that the kingdom meant simply some new religious advice 
an improved spirituality, a better code of morals, or a freshly crafted theology. They held to a stronger and more dangerous claim. They believed that in the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole cosmos had turned the corner from darkness to light. So what are we praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer? He says this, We are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all in all. That is quite a radical prayer to pray, friends. The Lord's Prayer is first and foremost a kingdom-focused prayer. It is a cosmic prayer. It is a missional prayer. And when people have gathered to pray these kinds of prayers in the Bible and in the history of the church, great movements of spiritual renewal have oftentimes come with it. There's a pastor, I'm quoting a lot of people today. I guess I did a lot of reading today, (laughs) this week. Anyway, there's a pastor named uh, Jack Miller. And uh, one one of the reasons I like Jack Miller is he's really good at uh, painting pictures of spiritual truths. So a couple weeks ago, I took one of his uh, images when I preached on David's prayer for repentance, and he talks about branch sins and root sins. That comes from this pastor, Jack Miller. Well, when it comes to prayer, he has, uh, he has another great uh, illustration for prayer, and he makes a distinction between two kinds of prayer meetings. He calls it maintenance prayer and frontline prayer meetings. Maintenance prayer meetings are the kind of prayer meetings that we might be used to when we gather together in some kind of small group or Uh, men's group or women's group or something like that is a kind of prayer that is actually entirely focused on the needs of ourselves or the needs of the church. But frontline prayer is different. He says frontline prayer meetings are focused on things much bigger than ourselves and much bigger than the needs of the church. They're focused on things like corporate repentance. They're focused on things like a zeal to see the church filled with the life of the Spirit. They're they're, uh, filled with things like a deep desire to see the glory of God and for others to see the glory of God. That's frontline prayer. And I think the Lord's Prayer would fall into that category, kingdom-focused prayer. Now, this was completely unintentional by me, right? But he was talking about the different passages in the Bible that correspond to this theology of prayer (laughs) and renewal. And the passages he pointed out were actually passages that I, I preached on in this series, completely unintentional. He says, you know, look at Moses' prayer uh, in Exodus 33. He says, look at Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah 1. He says, look at Acts chapter 4, which we're going to actually look at later on. These are the kind of prayers, these prayers are like frontline prayers. And when the Spirit moves our hearts to meet together and to pray these kinds of frontline prayers, that's when spiritual darkness turns to light. This is a cosmic prayer, friends. This is a powerful prayer to pray. Now, I want you to notice this too, because maybe I think this is in our you know, more individualistic idea of maybe piety and spirituality. Maybe we miss this, but notice that uh, this prayer, th- there is a corporate aspect to this prayer too, right? It doesn't say forgive me. It doesn't say deliver me. What does it say? Forgive us. Deliver us. Maybe we tend to think of prayer as private and individual. Maybe uh, for that reason, we don't think it's as important to gather with other believers and to pray together in a prayer meeting because we say, hey, I'm praying on my own, right? I'm praying in the mornings. I'm praying in the evenings. But there seems to be something significant about 
corporate prayer, about gathering together with a group of people, about having our hearts united for something beyond just our personal needs and for something that are, is actually greater than ourselves. Some of you, I think, have been part of these kinds of prayer meetings, and therefore you know how spiritually powerful these kinds of prayer meetings can be. The Lord's Prayer shows us that the focus of our prayers should be on the kingdom of God and that all other petitions are rooted in and anchored in the kingdom of God. But it also shows us that there is an important corporate communal aspect of praying together. Now with a concept uh, that is as big as the kingdom of God, a concept that is as big as the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ as king, one could get the impression that God is somewhat distant from us, right? It's kind of like how Americans view celebrities. Uh, they're like these out-of-this-world the wor kind of figure, and um, I don't know, have many of you met celebrities in New York? I've only seen one, and he wasn't even that famous. But if you've ever met a celebrity, I think there's a sense where you're, you're kind of surprised at how, like, normal they are, right? If they're normal and if they're just like everybody else, it's like, oh, you know, this, this person that I see on TV all the time or this person who everybody's talking about all the time, uh, they're, they're pretty normal. And we, we kind of get taken aback by the normalcy of celebrities because I think we come to them and think that they're so much different than we are. I think what's amazing about this kingdom prayer is that even though we're dealing with concepts that are cosmic in scope, God is still portrayed here to be incredibly accessible in the way that we relate to him. God is portrayed as someone who is incredibly intimate with us. And that leads to our final point in that this prayer teaches us the basis of our prayers. How does this prayer start? It starts with two remarkable words. Our Father. Our Father. Not the cosmic king who is so distant from us, although... Jesus is the cosmic king. It starts with our Father. What does it mean that this grand and glorious kingdom prayer invokes us to approach God as our Father? It means this. Prayer is personal. Prayer is intimate. Prayer is based on a relationship that has already been established rather than a relationship that needs to be achieved. You know, in New York, we are... Uh, we're surrounded by people all the time. That's kind of just like living in the city. Uh, we're very cramped in space. You're with people all the time on subways, at work, uh, in your homes. You know, when someone is a stranger to you, there, there are certain things that you are allowed to ask of a stranger, right? Uh, for example, you can ask a stranger for directions. You can ask a stranger, hey, what train do I take to get to this place? Uh, when someone is an acquaintance or a coworker, there are certain things you can ask an acquaintance or a coworker. Uh, you can ask them, hey, can you help me out in this project? Hey, can you connect me to this person that you know in your industry? Hey, can you give me some tips and advice on how to handle uh, this situation at work? You know, it's a little bit more personal than a stranger on a train, but still, even that kind of relationship has its limits. Do you know the, the one thing, at least the one thing you can't ask either of those people? You can't ask this of a stranger, and you can't ask this of an acquaintance at work. You cannot ask them to take a sip of their water. <laughs> you cannot just take their french fry and just whoop, eat it, right? That, that would be incredibly 
offensive or that would be rude or that would be extremely weird. You know what my kids do? They take my stuff. <laughs> they, they ask me for my stuff. They want a sip of water. They want my drink. They ask for it. They see fries on my plate. They just reach over. They take it and eat it. There is a level of intimacy there that you only see or that, that's not necessarily there in other kinds of relationships. Jesus invokes us to come and to pray to God as our Father. There's great intimacy in that. Not only that, but there's a difference in terms of what makes the basis of that relationship. If you are in a business relationship, the foundation of that relationship is good service. And if you are not receiving good service or if you are not providing good service, then there's a good chance that that relationship will cease. A family relationship is not based on a service, but it's based on a status. And that status can be established in at least two ways. It can be established by blood. So you're born into a certain family. That makes you family. Parent-child, biological parent-child relationship is established by blood. But family relationships can be also established by law. In-law relationships are established by legally binding two people together in marriage. There's another kind of relationship, though, that is also established by law, and it is a relationship brought about by adoption. Adoption. Now, in the Bible, adoption is a theological category, an important one that helps us understand our relationship with God because you see, at one point, God was not our father. At one point, God, uh, we had no relationship with God because sin broke that relationship with God. But when Jesus Christ came, Paul says, Paul uses the language of adoption to help illustrate how that relationship has ultimately changed. You look in places like Ephesians 1 and Galatians 4, Paul says that we have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was the Son of God. And so when he addressed God, how would you expect the Son of God to address God, his Father, as Father? We're going to look at Jesus' prayer in John 17 in a couple weeks. And in that prayer, you see Jesus refers to God as Father many, many times. But there was a moment where God did not refer to God as Father, but referred to him as God. And you know when that moment was? It was on the cross. See, it's on the cross where Jesus didn't say, my father, why have you forsaken me? But what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because on the cross, he temporarily lost his legal status as son. That relationship was severed as Jesus bore the brunt of our judgment upon himself. And as a result, what happens? Why does Jesus do that in love? So that we could be adopted into the family of God. That's why when we pray, we don't pray on the basis of a business relationship. We don't pray saying, if I pray these eloquent prayers or the most theologically accurate prayers, then this is how God is going to hear me. No, 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 friends. We pray on the basis of our status, a status established through Christ that we are sons, that he is our father. Now, there are many, many, many implications to this. And if you've grown up in the church, you might, you know, that's not like a concept that's going to blow your mind. And you always pray, Father, thank you this, thank you that. 
but just spend a m few moments just reflecting on what that means, that the cosmic creator of the world, that the redeemer, that our king, we get to come to him as father. I just want to point out two implications of this. I think first it means this, that the b basis of our prayer isn't uh, in how well we pray. And uh, by the way, that's something Jesus points out even in our passage when he critiques those who babble empty words. Uh, the reason I point this out to you all is I, I do realize there are some people who don't like to pray out loud and you're a little bit scared to pray out loud and maybe a little bit intimidated to come to prayer meetings and things like that because maybe you're worried about what other people might uh, think of your prayers. Uh, maybe you're like, eh, my prayer is like too choppy or not eloquent or uh, I, I don't know if it's even uh, a right thing to say. I think you have to get over that though, if that's you. Uh, you have to get over that because you're going to miss uh, one of the greatest gifts of Christian community, which is to come together and to pray together. God doesn't receive our prayer on the basis of our eloquent words, but he receives our prayers on the basis of our status as sons through Jesus Christ. Second, I do think it means we can also be bold, bolder in our prayers. Uh, you know, I was thinking, why don't we pray bold prayers uh, as we ought to? And I'm prim primarily thinking about this about myself. Why don't I pray prayers that are bold enough and I actually think it's rooted in fear, for me at least. Uh, maybe I'm afraid of what it might do to my faith if God doesn't answer that particular prayer, right? If I say something like, God, would you save, uh, bring all X, Y, and Z to you and bring great transformation to the lives? God, would you uh, use Good News Church to bring great revival and renewal to various industries and to New York City, or God use Good News Church to make a huge impact on world missions, or whatever it might be, these kind of huge, lofty, lofty prayers. Uh, I wonder if maybe we are afraid of uh, what it might do to our faith if we don't experience God answering those prayers. But you know, again, I think if we understand that God is our Father and we are His children, I do think it gives us a certain level of freedom that we can be bold before him. And uh, here's what I mean. You know, a child may ask his or her father, uh, can you buy me an iPhone? Or can you get me some milk? Can you buy me some milk? And for the iPhone, uh, I think the father may say, right, no, you can't have an iPhone. Uh, why? Because an iPhone at your age is not appropriate. Or if I give you an iPhone, that's going to set a bad precedent to all the other kids who don't have iPhones or for your sibling, siblings or something like that, right? And a child may not understand the reasons behind it or see the wisdom behind it, but the child will probably still be bold and ask for it, and it's not going to taint or affect that relationship at all if the father says, no, you can't have an iPhone. You know, for the milk, a father might give the milk to a child, not because the um, and, but not until the child says, can I have some milk, right? Why? Because maybe the father wants the child to be bold enough to ask for it. I think we can be a little bit bolder in our prayers and ask our Father in heaven to do bold things. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Just like Moses prayed. God, give me your favor just like Nehemiah prayed. 
God, you say we are light of the world. This world feels really dark right now. My city feels very dark right now. These times feel very dark right now. Use me to make this world light again. If that seems like a hopeless prayer, especially in times such as these, then it probably means that we have to pray the Lord's Prayer all the more. And you see, praying these prayers, whether God answers them or not, praying these prayers uh, are based entirely upon the kind of relationship that we have with God. Not upon, do we know the right thing to pray? I mean, he knows what we need even before we ask. Not upon how well we can pray it, but simply this. Christ has died for us. He temporarily lost his sonship so that we can be invited into his family and come to God as our Father. Let's pray together.